Welcome to Transcending Comics, a podcast dedicated to trans representation in comic books, manga, and webtoons, both on panel and behind the scenes. I'm your host, Tommy, and today I'm joined by a whole panel of guests that have been involved in the process of publishing many of the books that have been covered or soon will be covered on this show, including LSBN, Of Thunder and Lightning, The Quick and Easy Guide series, and Chromatic Fantasy, all from my favorite queer comics imprint, Silver Sprocket. I'm excited to dive into this world of queer comics with Silver Sprocket's owners and general managers and storefront team, Avi and Josh. Hey. Hello. Nice to be here. As well as the editors shaping these narratives to perfection, Ari Yarwood. Hello. And the graphics producer breathing life into their entire line of published works and making sure every physical release looks great, Karina Taylor. Hi. So happy to be here. Yeah. Welcome to the show, everyone. This being Transcending Comics' first ever roundtable discussion, I'd love to help the viewers get to know each voice on the team. So uh, I'd like to go around and have everyone introduce themselves and tell us a bit about what your role in the company looks like. Let's start with you, Avi. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Avi. I'm the publisher and founder of Silver Sprocket. So this started out as a, a project out of my bedroom and then basement and living room and my whole house, really, until we got a storefront to move it to. And um, early on, I did all of the jobs, and I'm so excited now to have a fantastic team to help us do so much better work and be more consistent and timely, and um, and all of us really get to kind of focus on our, our, our little tasks and work together, and yeah, it's really cool. And Josh, how about you? Hi, I'm Josh PM. I'm the general manager at Sprocket. I mostly handle the shop, managing the team of amazing staff and comic artists that we work with and handling a lot of the shipping and fulfillment and that kind of stuff. I also uh, make comics and music under Josh PM with my band Sad Snack. Mm -hmm. And I joined Silver Sprocket uh, originally as an artist way back in 2011, 2012. I was published by Avi and the co-editor of the As You Were anthology series, Mitch Clem. And then I moved out to San Francisco and was encouraged by our mutual friend, Rachel Dukes, to hit up Avi just kind of on a social level. And after a while, Avi let me know that they were opening a storefront pop-up and asked me to join as just a kind of salesperson, retail human, mm-hmm. and eventually just stuck around long enough and learned enough of the ropes to lend a, a much bigger hand. Ari, how about you? Hi, I'm Ari. I'm the managing editor at Silver Sprocket. I started in early 2021, so it's been a few years now, which is great. Previous to Silver Sprocket, I was at Oni Press um, as one of the senior editors. Um, that's actually the Quick and Easy Guide series is a, a series that I worked on at um, Oni Press. So te- mm-hmm. like technically not Silver Sprocket, but it's me. So like, is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're part of the team, so I'll count it. <laughs> Yeah. And so I edit every book that we publish. And so that can range from um, just doing like a a quick proofread and making sure everything gets to press on time um, on stuff that's pretty much done or like acquisition, working on script, working on thumbnails, art all the way through to completion with an artist. And so I get to do a lot of really fun stuff. And then the managing part of it is all of the little deadlines and schedules and stuff that makes a publisher run. And finally, Karina. Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the production designer with Silver Sprocket. I got hooked up with 
Avi in summer 2018, actually of of all places, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, which is my favorite factoid because it makes the least sense of the places to have met each other. Um, But that was because previously I was working, my day job being uh, the same thing, but for larger publishers. So at the time I was working for Skybound, which is an imprint of Image Comics. And now I'm currently working for Scholastic Graphics. But for Silver Sprocket, I do a little, I work on every single book and basically work with the artists to recommend formats and papers and finishes that I think will really enhance their book and help make it look the best it can be and also be the best version that the artist wants it to be as well. Hmm. Now, I feel like best place to start from here is with the beginning. So Avi, you mentioned that Silver Sprocket started in your bedroom and now I believe is on its second storefront and doing quite well, judging by the number of books at my local comic shop. So tell us a bit about how the imprint bloomed from that one bedroom setup to the store it is now. Yeah, um, it has not been a linear path at all. Um, I, uh, When I was just a, a teenager, I was really into comic books and I like I got a job doing mail order for uh, slave labor graphics out of San Jose, uh, where like they published like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and Milk and Cheese and Lenore and stuff. Uh, then I took a bit of a detour to I, uh, I had a record label and I was managing bands and touring with bands a lot. And then um, I got burnt out and then started what was called Silver Sprocket, but was very different. It was like a, a bicycle club and. Uh, we were part of setting up like a volunteer run bicycle repair shop up in Sacramento and kind of more of just fun, weird shit. And then I accidentally turned that back into a record label. And then I kind of got really burnt out of working with bands, but uh, I really appreciated the like the artists that we were working with, like the visual artists who would do um, album covers and show posters and stuff like that, and thought that there there were all these resources for musicians to work together and have careers like band camp and you, you literally play concerts with other musicians so you meet each other and and trade resources and help each other but i felt like a lot of that was lacking in the the directly parallel uh like zine and comic scene of uh you know people who had the same values and voice and all that stuff but just didn't have the resources for it and I foolishly thought that all of the skills of like printing and distributing and marketing could just transfer right over to comics. So, um, so we started doing more and more comics and less and less records. And uh, now we're we're full time books and not doing records at all. And it's fantastic. And um, and yeah, we we've been through four storefronts. Uh, this is our first one with an actual rental agreement. Uh, we previously were just kind of squatting empty storefronts. I mean, a little barely more organized than that. And uh, yeah, we're just, uh, we've got a store that's our, our gallery and office HQ and we have our warehouse under it. And um, I thankfully don't have all the inventory in my bedroom and living room anymore. <laughs> and um, we're publishing like two to three books a month and having a lot of fun. Now, Josh, what's the uh, managing process look like from the time you first joined the company to what it is now? Yeah, I was thinking about this recently because it kind of started out with just a list of tasks that needed to be done. And hopefully they were in the order that they needed to be done in, especially when we were just getting started having a physical space at the the very first pop-up on Hate Street. It was a lot of kind of just jumping on whatever needed to happen, whether that was sending out mail order, 
usually we would start our day with that. The person who basically had my job at the time would just kind of be like, you do this, I'll do this, break. And for a while, that was kind of what I brought to the team too. When I kind of took over, we were, we never had a team of more than four people until 2021. So we moved into this giant new space. And by that point, it was down to just Avi and I, a couple of our employees had to take time off or leave for various reasons. One of them went to teach comics at Berkeley and CCA. One was taking time off for their health. And so Avi and I had to find a whole new staff. And I've managed retail spaces before. So it was the kind of thing where I was like, okay, we'll hire, we'll just kind of like slowly grow the team. And we, we narrowed our choices down to the five people we liked the best. And I turned to Avi and I said, okay, how many of these people are we hiring? And Avi said, all of them, which was amazing. And it just kind of exponentially like bumped us up to the next level in a certain way where we kind of had to start delegating more jobs and breaking up the business into mail order and the storefront and events like comic conventions and hosting artists here for readings. So the management style that I bring to the table is pretty laissez-faire, but not in the sense that I like don't give people tasks or anything, but I try to trust, like put a lot of trust in my employees. They're all really smart and we all have some level of attention deficit, but Mm -hmm. some more than others, myself included, but we are all very dedicated to making sure that uh, the store is a beautiful, fun place for people to come visit and that we get our books to where they need to be, whether that's other shops, our distributors or conventions in a timely manner. And just, you know, having as much fun along the way as we can, because it's very fulfilling work and very, uh, it's like, no one's going to die if they don't get their comics, but people really care about the kind of stuff that we're putting out, thanks to the efforts of the whole team, including Ari and Karina and Kyle and Avi. So we want to make the whole experience really fun and special. Now, Karina, I understand that you've, had your hands in literally every published book Silver Sprocket's put out so far. And with, uh, I feel like Silver Sprocket has a way wider variety of comics that they're regularly putting out compared to other major publishers, like everything from zines and mini comics to full on hardcover graphic novels. So what does your process look like in working with such a wide variety of authors and illustrators and like finding how best to format any number of different kinds of comics. Yeah, well, basically each book is a little puzzle that I have to figure out how we make it exist. And part of the thing with Silver Sprocket is like we come from the idea like we're going to make it work. We're going to do what we can to make the book possible. And where I think where as a lot of other publishers, big and small, are just not don't have the time or resources or maybe like the foolhardiness to try making a book that was just published online with PNGs into something that can exist on the printed page. And so basically I I come at each project and basically starts with a conversation with the artists and I have to get their files. And once I have the files, we basically see what needs to happen <laughs> on these to make them look good. And the the usual problem is the colors are not quite right for print like someone will be working in rgb 
which doesn't transfer to CMYK, which is the required mode for printing. Like you lose purples and greens a lot and you lose the intensity that a lot of artists love to have in RGBB. So I work with them to make it at least closer to what they what might hope it would be. Um, and then also I'm always wor- worrying about like resolution and I have tricks <laughs> mm. to make it look good actually. And I have like various tools that I run files through that'll make it look good. But yeah, it's every book is different. Like, and I, I haven't worked on every single book. I will say it's 2018 later. So anything before that, I wasn't really involved with. But the first book I worked on uh, with Silver Sprocket was like a, re- a very old web comic. So like there were all kinds of file formats, all kinds of resolutions, and like making some of those consistent. Like really, like meant taking this file and like bringing it into like Adobe Illustrator and then converting the artwork into vector so that it would have a crisper line. <laughs> like I basically do anything to make the book look good. And it, like, that's something I really value and think is important. And I, I think it is like our, our duty to like make these books as beautiful as possible and like do whatever it takes to do that. So I think that's why I do all of it. I, I just want to make a beautiful book and I want the artists to love the book that they have at the end. Now, as far as the, like graphic design of the company itself, or namely the goat logo. Uh, I'd love to know who's responsible for that guy. Liz Suburbia. That that one's by Liz Suburbia. Uh, We had a different logo back in the day that was like uh, the silver sprocket initials inside of a, like a sprocket gear. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the alt-right started to become a thing and it was no longer a good idea to have a logo that said SS on it. So, um, we pivoted quickly to this um, amazing illustration that um, uh, Liz Suburbia is one of my favorite cartoonists of all time. Like her cyanide milkshake zine, which is now a collection, was a huge inspiration for for me to even care about publishing in the first place. And um, we got her day drunk at a comic fest once, and she drew all of us who were working at the table as like fantasy creatures. And on the edge of the page somewhere was that goat just spray painting silver sprocket rules okay and we're like well this is sick as hell like this is the coolest illustration we have so we just kind of like quickly started using it and uh and then the the, the goat character has kind of taken on a life of their own as um like all of our different artists have done their own like versions or like putting the goat in different situations in different uniforms and stuff now ari with you working in the editorial and like acquisition space, the company, I'd love to know how you go about finding and working with potential creators in a time where it's almost easier than ever to publish comics online. Yeah. Uh, we actually all bring in artists and ideas for people to publish, which is really nice. I've worked places where it's a little bit more exclusive to like who gets to bring an idea to the table. I really like that we as a team get to be like, I saw this really cool artist online and what do we think about working with them? But yeah, I would say a lot of the folks that we end up working with, we find at comic conventions or we find online. The Shortbox Comics Fair has like over 100 artists every year doing really great work. And so that's also a great place to find people. It used to be a little bit easier to find folks before like Twitter exploded and before AI scraping really started. Uh, So like people often need to put their art behind password protection or like walls so that it's a little harder to find people. But like that's part of the job is like doing that talent hunting. 
And also like word of mouth, uh, artists that we work with tell their friends who are also artists um, and uh, introduce their friends to us. So yeah, I think it's a collaborative process. We also just did mini comic open submissions so that we could find more people that we wouldn't necessarily be able to find. And we got over 750 submissions, uh, which I have read every single one of, and there was a lot of really good ones. And so that process is still happening, but I'm really excited about the the projects that we found doing that. But yeah. <laughs> now, I know this isn't your first time working in a queer and gender focused imprint. Uh, you yourself mentioned your time with uh, Limerence Press under Oni Press. Uh, I'm curious how that experience is carried over and influenced your time with Silver Sprocket. Um, that Karina, did you want to say something? <laughs> I don't know if this is okay for the format, but I had a little comment, a jump on comment. Oh, sure. Ari. I, I just wanted to add that I think all of us really love comics and each are exists our own little, uh, I think, preferred cohort slash like what we like to read. I think that also really benefits Silver Sprocket because we all bring something slightly different in our tastes. And we all kind of have a unified, I think, vision of what a Silver Sprocket comic is, but we all, I think, take a different angle at it. And that's how we kind of come to what the line ends up being. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. But um, yeah, Ari, back to you and uh, your time with Limerence. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm gay. Like, (laughs) 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 you know, almost everybody we work with and who is at the company at Silver Sprocket also is queer or trans and, or both. And so when I was working at, at Oni and Limerence, it was kind of just me. And so it was harder. (laughs) Um, it, it felt a little bit more like an island, but I I feel like, you know, the first six years of my editorial career, I got a lot of practice creating a space for people to make the art they felt was important and that they wanted to tell. And so now that I'm at Silver Sprocket, it's a lot easier to be able to be like, yeah, like, come on in. We can we can absolutely tell this horny story about uh, (laughs) two trans dudes going on a cool adventure um, and having sex and getting bitten by a snake um that's chromatic fantasy um (laughs) and and it's easy and it's fun um and it's the stories that I like to read and that's just sort of how it happens yeah I don't know I I I like being able to work with people who are within my community and support their work and help it reach a larger audience go ahead Josh oh yeah I was just gonna mention too that kind of the ethos, part of the ethos for Silver Sprocket that I think Ari and Avi really champion and bring to the table is bringing work that comes from these more marginalized, smaller communities of queer and trans people that might not be able to find homes at some of these bigger publishers, even though they're at the same level of quality and same level of storytelling that a lot of other graphic novels are. So we get to kind of have this little niche that's really important to us and give these books a home and uh with Karina's help give them the treatment that they really deserve yeah like our books are are sick as hell and it's baffling that these giant publishers are too chicken shit to publish them (laughs) but it means that we get to and uh that's great (laughs) yeah no i 
my first Silver Sprocket comic was LSBN, and I remember flipping through this and like seeing two trans girls fucking a giant robot. And like, this is exactly <laughs> the story I want to read. <laughs> Where's this company been? And uh, ever since then, I've always had a keen eye on the shelf that my particular shop, uh, Alter Ego in Marion, Iowa, like always looking at what they're carrying from y'all. Oh, that's so cool. I'm, I'm glad that they're they're out there supporting the work because they're, they're seriously good. It's not like, oh, that's the trans section. It's more like these books are so badass and so much more interesting than so many other books out there. Uh, they, they just happen to have gay shit in them and, mm-hmm. and we're here for it. On the community side of things, uh, more on the storefront side, I'd love to know what your customer base looks like compared to like a more traditional local comic shop. Uh, especially with having kind of a different different stock compared to like, yeah, just the big line of big two publishers having new things every week. Like, how does yours work as far as like recurring customers go or just day to day operations? Well, it's it's very different because we we don't carry periodicals at all and we don't carry any Marvel or DC. We we don't carry any corporate owned intellectual property at all. So when you're a regular traditional comic shop, you're you've got a fan who knows that they love Spider-Man or Batman or whatever, and they already know what they want when they come in. Whereas with our shop, uh, people really have to hang out and look at stuff because every purchase is a brand new purchase of getting sold on a new thing, or maybe they're familiar with the artist already and they're excited that the artist has a new book out. But um, a lot of our regulars are people who don't really self-identify as comic book fans um, we have a lot of people who just walked by and are like, what the hell is this? And then they realize how amazing it is. And now they're hooked. So I, I kind of feel like I mean, using industry language, we're like expanding the market. But I don't really think someone's going to read books at Silver Sprocket and then realize that uh, they want to read The Punisher um, or anything like that. Because it's like, we're not even like we're we're telling beautiful stories. Like it's lovely sequential art. And, and I think we're kind of on a generational shift right now where more people who are growing up now who read comics uh, come to it from like Instagram and Tumblr and Webtoon and like manga than from uh, like reading Spider-Man and X-Men. So I think the general world of what comics are and can be is just so much greater and more exciting and more expansive than what it might have been before. And we're kind of catching up with the rest of the planet right now of like, you know, Europe and Japan and everywhere else has just progressed while the United States was hamstrung by like the Comics Code Authority and a bunch of other things that kept it stagnant. And um, it's really exciting to be kind of on that cutting edge of like doing really cool shit with the medium. I would add too, there are people out there who would say Silver Sprocket isn't even a comic shop. And <laughs> they know who mm-hmm. they are. But I think we do a really good job of creating a space where people who don't necessarily enjoy a traditional comic shop, you know, the way that they exist currently, um, they feel really safe and really comfortable coming in and asking us for recommendations and talking about what we're doing, why we're doing it. We get a lot of queer people. And I think that the community and the scene around indie comics is growing a lot in the Bay Area right now as queer people and trans people kind of discover zine making and printmaking and find the spaces here in the Bay that are very like very safe and comfortable to be in. There's other shops like Sour Cherry Comics 
And even Mission Comics, which is a more traditional shop, but they have the kind of stuff that is more in line with what we do as well. So it's cool to see the queer community and the comics community and the like general art illustration, uh, printmaking community kind of coming together in a way that it hadn't been for a, quite a while. And uh, not only catering to queer people specifically, but also opening up the eyes of people who maybe aren't queer or don't know they're queer to this world of people making stuff that tells uh, the kind of narratives that Silver Sprocket likes to champion. Yeah, and I'll say like we we definitely come to it from zine world of like the empowerment of making your own art, like the, creating the art that you want to see in the world and supporting it. And like we we order from over three hundred different suppliers for the shop, with many of them being an individual who self publishes their own work. And um, especially the the history of like queer fanzines is really really vibrant. Like going back to like the seventies or earlier where the media that that folks wanted to engage with just didn't exist. So, you know, people had to take it upon themselves to create that media, uh, even if it wasn't approved or profitable for like the corporations to engage with. And um, we, we very much champion that DIY ethos. And, you know, we encourage people to make their own comics and bring them in and let us, you know, put them up on a pedestal. Um, so we're very about like that kind of empowerment and like encouraging people to tell their own stories. At the storefront, do you ever get people like wandering in upset at the lack of like big two books or appealing? I thought this was a comic shop. Like, I mean, can you imagine like going to a sporting goods store and it only has baseball stuff and being like, why the fuck doesn't it just say on the name? It's a baseball stuff store. Like, why does it say sporting goods store? So, yeah, we're a comic book store, but we don't just carry superhero stuff. And I guess we don't really have any superhero stuff. So maybe... I don't know. Um, people are confused sometimes. Like people come in asking about Pokemon cards or like where, like whatever. But I think our window displays and just looking in the store does a pretty good job filtering out um, the wrong kind of attitudes. I will say that, yeah, we do get people coming in asking about stuff that we don't carry. But with Mission Comics around the corner carrying all that kind of thing, it's easy to send them to our fr- literal friends who. Mm-hmm have the stuff that they they want. And while they're in the shop, we oftentimes go, well, oh yeah, if you like Saga, come over to this display. This is all the books we put out. This is like a whole publisher of things that are like emotionally resonant, like Saga, or here's Cosmo Nights by Hannah Templar. Like it's an amazing comic about queer lesbian space knights rescuing princesses from a patriarchal Mm tournament system so yeah you're probably also going to like this and hey maybe you know if we just get them to peek at something they'll find their new favorite thing in addition to saga there's nothing wrong with liking saga there's nothing really even that wrong with liking spider-man but uh we have our own agenda (laughs) since you mentioned cards in the store um ari i know you actually have some experience adapting comics into card games with a your time with uh, the Tea Dragon Society and the award-winning comp card game based on it. I've not really had anyone close to a game designer of any kind on the show before, so I'd love to know a bit about how you go into uh, like capturing the essence of a comic within the world of a board game or a card game. 
Yeah, I will say off the bat, I'm definitely not the game designer. Because oh, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to do that. But what I did with the Tea Dragon Society series, um, when we were adapting it into a card game, was I worked pretty closely with the artist Kay O'Neill and the game designers to make sure that the card game like captured the vibe and ethos of the book, essentially. So that book is very cozy. It's very like cooperative. It's very community based. So the card game ended up being a like non-competitive card game where you just spend time taking care of your tea dragon and whoever loves their tea dragon the most wins. And it's adorable. (laughs) And so I helped uh, basically like find the art for it and, and work with the artist sort of as like the artist representative of making the art for the game. And then I did a lot of proofreading and suggesting suggestions on the actual rule book so that it was clear and easy to read because <laughs> that's the part that I'm good at. But yeah, I, I really love I really love games as well. I've done some work uh, in like the like D&D space, too. And that's another really fun aspect of like creativity and storytelling that I do on the site. Now, does the storefront offer anything in the realm of like comics and board gaming like and under a more punk aesthetic though not really uh we have a bunch of tarot decks Mm. um and we we're talking about a couple potential projects but so far our focus has been more front and center on like the comics uh, the zines and like the related artwork i think we would love it if there was a queer trans like board and card game developer out there that we could just order amazing things from like Avi said, that we've already started talking to a few people and a few of our artists who have game ideas kind of either in the bag or concepts that they want to explore. So it's not off the table. We do do, uh, we have done D&D nights at the shop uh, with the hope of doing more and expanding some of our just kind of community-based events to get more people to just come hang out and like kick it with us at the shop for sure, though. I'll uh, I'll be sure to ask around. I know a few other trans folk within the more video game design scene, but if I can find any uh, trans board game companies to point your way, I'll be sure to do that. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, Now, Karina, I know that you're also doing work as a senior designer for graphics books as the Scholastic imprint. Do you mind if I ask about any noteworthy project you've done for graphics and like how your process for them compares to what you do for silver sprocket oh it's leagues different Mm. (laughs) i mean so corporate comics are just so different from what we're doing at silver sprocket like here like what we've, we've said that like everyone is working very collaboratively we all sort of have a say in what we acquire we all have sort of a say in how or we can like put our opinion in and say oh i think here's an idea about how this should look or I was reading this thing and I, I I was tripping up on this part of the story. Maybe that's something that we address for the future. Corporate comics, it's all very everyone has their little little roles. <laughs> mm. And it's uh and especially it's scholastic, it's very like siloed. I I do think the work there is very important because I do think making children's comics is like very important work and needs to be done with a lot of care and sensitivity. And I do genuinely think it is like one of the more important roles like you can have in the arts, like for for society, because it's just I think it is vital to give stories to kids that like frame how they think of the world. But 
I love doing Silver Sprocket because I want to make books that I want to read and think are interesting and like are adult stories that are have nuance and like pertain to like the troubles that we experience. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at my shelf. <laughs> I recent I worked with um, Gail Galligan on her book Freestyle, which is this really cool yo-yo comic about kids kids and <laughs> kids in New York who mm. went, they're in a dance crew and one of they're in middle school and one of the kids is tr- basically realizing they don't care about dance the same way the other kids do and they start taking up yo- competitive yo-yoing as a hobby and it's very charming and Gail is an incredible comic artist and cartoonist and it's it's a story about you know what happens when you are growing up and you have new friends and they don't mesh with your old friends. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think a story that, you know, you can take into your adulthood because it's useful because you're still like having friend breakups as adults, but in different ways. But yeah, it's, it's just very different. And I don't know what else to say about that. (laughs) As for your other work, uh, like with skybound and image, uh, I had to ask since my other podcast was originally dedicated to a skybound book, the uh, ultra mega fan cast. So uh, I'm curious what work you might have contributed to there. And like, I know that's still kind of under corporate comic, but at least leans creator owned. So I'm curious if that's any more similar than what you're doing with graphics. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because Ultra Mega was a book I worked on before I left. And it, that's, that was a great book. Yeah. <laughs> um, the art's fantastic. So I, I guess to more put a finer point on like corporate comics in general it's and also it sort of depends on the place you work so for skybound there was a lot of you get to work with the artist and really like build out back matter and front matter i think and like really i guess depending on the project you get to make something that is very specific with like all those extra pages you need to pad out a book because a book needs to be a certain page length for printer reasons so usually you'll have like oh we have four extra pages. What do we do with those pages? And I get to talk with the artist, like, oh, we could, there was this part in the story where they're like, there could have been this like material. Can we take that material? And if it was like a cooking comic, let's take uh, the menu. And that was like in a small panel. Let's like blow it up, make an actual menu and put it in the back of the book. Cause that's a fun thing to look at. Um, Sorry. I'm like looking at the books I have made Hmm. at like skybound. I made, I worked on, Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton with Kyle Starks and Chris Schweisser, who are wonderful comic artists. And like that one was really fun because that was a comic about like a TV series and like a, actors working on a TV series and like their careers. So I like made a fake IMDb page that we printed in the back of the book. We made posters from each of the TV series, which was like a Star Trek spinoff, a, like a, a noir show, a, like a karate type show like various daytime television so those were fun because you get to make something really cool it's it's towed the line more between corporate and indie because the artist was like hey i want to do this cool thing and there was more leeway to do that sort of thing whereas like i think with scholastic there's more stricter ideas of like what has to be on each page and like the editor and sales and the rest of the team will have a more stricter idea of like okay it just it is just the copyright page there will only be text on it, nothing else. Whereas I think in other places we get to, you know, have a little more fun. Um, but yeah, it sort of depends. Another thing too, like uh, I not to, well, yeah, I'll throw shade, whatever. Um, I've, I have some friends who do graphic design at other major publishing houses. And they've told me things like, 
like they're they're real jealous that we get to use like cool special effects on the covers or do embossments and foils and gilded edges and stuff uh, because they the corporation has done market research and found that people are ordering books out of the catalog and don't get and that these cover treatments don't add any value from a sales perspective and don't affect sales whereas for us it's like wait for an extra 15 cents we can have like gilded edges and foil and spot gloss like hell yeah let's make the, the book as beautiful as we can make it and really make it special in a way that that a group of shareholders might think is a waste of money you know frivolous expense so we do get to have a lot more fun with our graphic design and production work to really make items of value that are worth owning and don't suck in ways that a, a corporation might kind of stifle with yeah it's classic like it's a fight to have specs <laughs> Um, like recently they're like talking like you, most books get a like at least a spot gloss treatment on the cover. And now even that is becoming something that not all books have, which really hurts me because I'm like, it costs one cent to apply that on a book, which I get if you're like printing 20,000 books, that is a larger amount of money, but I, it's so little money <laughs> to make something look a little bit better. And I think it makes a difference to the artist. And that's, again, like that's the reverse ethos from like what we have, where it's like, we want the book to feel special for the artist. And we get to throw everything at the table and say, okay, what makes the most sense for like what this story is? What will kind of tell you what the story is from the outside before you even read the book? We could, from a in-person sales standpoint, both at the store and at comic conventions, at, at our store anyway, there are plenty of times where I've seen people just beeline towards a book, something like of Thunder and Lightning or Chromatic Fantasy in particular come to mind. But a lot of our titles have something that really grabs people and they'll just pick it up, even if they have no idea what it is, because it just has this bright Pantone eye searing orange or like Avi said, the gilded edges on Chromatic Fantasy or a little bit of extra foil on the cover of Pee Pee Poo Poo number 420 <laughs> that really brings the the object like we're we're in the business of making art into objects that people can hold and cherish and like get really stoked about everything's ephemeral books are going to all crumble into dust one day but if we can make it that much more compelling for someone to pick up and then engage with the art inside it really makes a difference from the process from the artist all the way to the the end customer, the the person who's going to find it most compelling and emotionally impactful. And I think our readers are often artists and like, or at least people who love art and love craft. So like they want to see a book where they're like, ah, oh, it lights up the little lights in their brain. It's like, oh, that paper feels nice to hold. <laughs> that color yeah. looks really cool. So we want to appeal to that. There's other presses, too, that kind of raise the bar in addition to Silver Sprocket. Folks like Piao Studio and Shortbox also put a lot of thought and effort and consideration into the kind of materials they use and the book design and the specs that uh, appear in their titles. And it has just always worked for in terms of selling them in our store that in terms of our sales, which we usually publish our top 100 sellers at the end of the year it's almost always silver sprocket which is great that's our top seller <laughs> should be 
And then uh, PL Studio, Shortbox, Fanagraphics, Drawn and Quarterly, probably not in that exact order, but these publishers that care a lot about how the thing looks and the reader experience and just how it, the, the whole like moment when you're holding something for the first time, no matter what the story is inside, something that like got you to pick it up and really engage with it in a meaningful way. From an editorial perspective too, depending on how long I've been working with an artist on the book, it can be like a two-year process just to get the art, just like just to finish it. And then part of my editorial, like the way I think of editorial is that my role is helping people make the best version of what's inside their head, like the best, best possible version of their vision. And then that extends to making a beautiful art object that, you know, actually showcases it. And I think just on a sentimental and emotional note, like if if you spent like two to three years on a book, you want to be able to hold it and be proud of it and have it look beautiful and have it look like you want it to. And so I'm really happy that we get to facilitate that and don't have to be like, no, you can't have spot gloss. Like, (laughs) and so, yeah, at, at the end of a two to three year process, the artist actually gets to have exactly what was in their mind when they conceived of the story. That's the other thing. Like we we all make rec- recommendations about like what the book should should look like or how we think something might help for the story or anything else like that. But ultimately, the artist gets final say. Like they can veto anything that we recommend to them, and they're like, "No, actually, I want it to look like this." So we'll like we'll say, "Okay, we'll do it the way you want to do it." Whereas like in my other jobs. Uh, the publisher has final say and it's the artist making the book, but the publisher gets to be like, no, we have to do it this way for such and such reasons. So that's something I really value about working with the Silver Sprocket artists and like how how we get to serve them essentially. Now, just since it's been brought up here a couple of times, Chromatic Fantasy is going to be one of the next books we cover Uh, about a week or two. I'm having HA on to discuss the release so I do want to know, whose idea was it to have the gold trim pages on that one? I think I did it, but it could have been any of us. I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, when Ari and I, so we both separately bought the book in PDF, and then we read it, and then we both separately were like, okay, so this is the next book we have to <laughs> bring to Silver Sprocket. And at least for me, I, when I was reading, I was like, okay, so if we do this book, <laughs> there's got to be gold all over it. And so I think we also have, we all like, we're very aligned. We're like, we know how something, what what's the best thing for a book. And I think, you know, we all have a similar idea of like, okay, this is a book inspired by medieval manuscripts and like biblical imagery. So it should kind of look like a Bible a little bit. <laughs> so let's put gold foil on the edges. Sexy Bible. Yeah. Uh, as we run low on time here, uh, just a few questions for the entire group. First, I'd like to know everyone's favorite or most interesting experience they've had at the store whether it be with the customer or like some kind of interesting creator coming in or even one of the store's events um one of my favorite things is uh we have like a a prize wheel on the wall except it's not much of a prize wheel it's actually a consequence wheel where there are no prizes uh all of the things are bad and there's like a sign above it that says please don't ask about the wheel and <laughs> people ask if they could spin it and we warn them that if they spin it they have to accept whatever consequence it lands on and people are still insist on spinning it and the prizes are things that are kind of ambiguous like 
like two tickets to the gun show means that we cut the sleeves off of your shirt or um, give hair means like we give you a haircut. And um, one of my favorite things that we put up there was um, it just said gender fluid. And it meant they had to take a swig out of this giant buzz ball filled with different kind of things in it. And um, it's just fucking gross, but really fun. One of the items just says ska. And um, Josh is in a ska band and can make a song about anything. And we'll, we'll just very seriously like be like, okay, what's something you love? And I'm like, make a beautiful ska song about whatever the topic was that was presented. And um, so I think the prize wheel is really fun, but that's just like us being dirt like shit bags. I, uh, what really makes me happy is just people coming in and hanging out and showing things to their friends and using the shop to cruise is fantastic. Uh, like we have a book called, uh, yes, I'm flagging by Archie Bon Giovanni. That's like a guide to all the hanky codes. Mm. And we have a regular who takes first dates to our shop all the time. And we'll spend like 10 minutes walking around the store. And like, you know, it's like going to a museum. Like you really get to meet each other when you're in a space and you can interact with things like that. But about 10 minutes in, this person brings their date over to, oh, flagging, interesting. Oh yeah, like sex stuff. Like what would you flag? And it's like such a beautiful way to like break the ice and find out what someone's kinks are in a like pretending that it's spontaneous kind of way. And it just fills my heart with so much joy that we're able to fulfill this like very specific function on a regular basis in this person's life. (laughs) Yeah. I accidentally told the person who does that, that there's a customer who comes in and does that. I didn't realize it was the same person. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) That was so so funny. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Personally, One one fun anecdote that's also ska related because when the when the consequence loop wheel lands on ska, I usually just look down and I go, "What's something you love?" And there people will be like, "What?" And I'll be like, "What's something you love?" I have to uh, just like slowly walk behind the desk and grab a guitar, and they tell me something they love, and I go, "Okay, I'm gonna ruin I'm gonna ruin dogs with ska." <laughs> Someone made me do a song about Morrissey once. I don't like Morrissey, so I'm gonna have fun with this one. <laughs> Any chance, like any chance you can do a ska song about podcasting to yeah. <laughs> ruin the episode and I can use it to like be the intro and outro? Well, you got to yeah, spin okay. the wheel, but you know, <laughs> it decides. <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to hire me from, through Cameo to get. No, I could do that. That would be fun. What another ska related customer? This, this is like a, another customer that had been in the shop kind of regularly and they came in and they were looking around and they I could see them kind of doing the thing where they're like trying to pick out what the song is and they go is this ska is this song ska and I go oh yeah and they go oh I don't like ska <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah Ouch. it's just a beautiful place uh, like Avi said there's a lot of people who just come in and are having a really good time I don't know if I could even think of specific anecdotes there was uh Noriko Tamaki came in once kind of uh not in, like not fully incognito, but I didn't recognize her right away. And she was with, I think, her agent or or someone along those lines, agent or manager. And they were walking around the store. And finally, I heard her say, like, "Oh yeah, they have this one." And I go, "Oh, is do we have your comics in the shop?" And she goes, "Yeah." And she points to this one, Summer. And I was like, "That's cool. Very very rad to have you here." <laughs> uh, and we recently uh, they came through and we helped host a 
kind of Q&A at, at the uh, California College of Art. And we sold their new book, uh, Jillian and Mariko Tamaki's new book, Roaming, at the event, which was really fun. And they were really kind and said a lot of nice things about it. And we get we definitely get a lot of artists who kind of make a, a pilgrimage to the shop, artists and comic fans who have met us at conventions or have heard about what we're doing. And they make it a point to come out and just take everything in. And sometimes people will be visiting the Bay Area for a week or two and they'll be in the shop every other day. <laughs> Uh, kind of hanging out and it's great to get to know people outside of conventions and get to like they'll they'll hang out till we're closing and then they're like hey i'm thinking about grabbing dinner down the street Do you guys want to come along so we'll get to spend some extra time getting to know other people in our community that way which has been really special ari and i uh don't live in the bay I, mm. i'm based in brooklyn and ari's in portland but i can speak to my in-person stuff just being like shows and conventions like i think sbx for me at least is like my yearly homecoming <laughs> with silver sprocket yeah. and i get to see everybody and just like that show's so much fun and we get up to a lot of hijinks allegedly allegedly bricks may or may not have been taken from the convention center to be used as pseudo ignance awards <laughs> ignance um, awards may or may not have been licked by certain artists <laughs> I've seen Ignat's awards on a number of my guests' profiles, and this recontextualizes everything. This was pre-COVID, to be fair. But yeah, like even just like this this September, like Josh mentioning the Tamakis, like they were walking down the the show floor in front of our table, and I was saying to Kyle because they were walking past, and I was like, "Wait, Kyle, <laughs> grab a copy of Chromatic Fantasy and go give it, give it, give it to them." And so then Kyle rushes off and like tries to find them and didn't get to them. So I hope you gave them a copy when they went to the store well, like two or three weeks ago. They sold out. Yeah. They That's were no traveling good. light too, but uh, we have their contact. We're definitely going to send them some more goodies. We we did give them copies of Rosemary Valero O'Connell's book that we published called Golden Record, which is another one that we're all very proud of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Karina said, I live in Portland, uh, so I don't get to go to the shop. But I did just do a panel for the Portland Zine Symposium, which was really fun. But they asked us for some like images to show as a slideshow in the background of the panel. Um, and so I sent them some of our, our books. And one of them was Caroline Cash's Pee Pee Poo Poo number 69. Um, and so when the first time it like came up on the slideshow, the like students were the yeah the people in the audience were very much just like laughing and giggling and like jostling with each other and I was like yeah this is one of our books it it won an Ignatz and then all of them <laughs> cheered like spontaneously just cheered um and it was delightful so that was nice I love it name of those books is a gift that just keeps giving it, it really is every time someone has to say it professionally I'm just like ah yes the best joke in the universe <laughs> Yeah. yeah, people trying to say pee-pee-poo-poo with a straight face at, like, award shows is amazing. And um, Ari, you got to do that event with uh, Vovo up in Portland, and uh, we had gone on a, a very anarchy walk with Ben Passmore in Denver once, where um, that's all I'm allowed to say. But yeah, that fantastic group of people. Yeah, it was a fun time. All right, well, wrapping things up here, uh, if any of y'all are comfortable plugging your social media, where can my audience find y'all? Uh, Silver Sprocket is the one that we're on Instagram, uh, on on Twitter, X, whatever. I guess you could search for Silver Sprocket, but it's SSBC Punk. 
And then I think Silver Sprocket on whatever else. I don't really use my personal social media, but I don't know if, if y'all do. Uh, I'm at Josh PM on most social media services, and my ska band is uh, at sadsnack.band on most stuff, definitely on Instagram and uh, Twitter and Blue Sky. So, yeah, if you're into Scott, check it out. <laughs> and yeah, Josh PM is my art and personal stuff. Yeah, I am. Ari Arwood on most things or Ari Arwood edits, um, but I'm very boring on social media. I mostly just repost stuff, um, but it's you're welcome stuff. to follow. <laughs> it is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I'm, I'm at She Calls Me Sea Dog on all social media places, which is a private joke for me and a very old friend of mine, but I use it everywhere forever in the future. But mostly I'm on Blue Sky now. That's the only place you can find me. So have at, oh, at yeah. it. <laughs> If the listeners at home have requests or recommendations for comics or creators you'd like us to cover in the future, you can send them our way on social media. You can find us on the Transcending Comics Instagram and Facebook page, on Twitter as at Transcend Comics, or email us at transcendingcomics at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for giving our podcast a chance and give a special shout out to Ray Day Parade for designing our logo. Thank you again, Avi, Ari, Josh, Karina, and in the future, Kyle for taking the time to come on the show and really looking forward to seeing everything Silver Sprocket has to offer in the coming months. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Our intro and outro music this week is A Little Soul and You've Been Starring by Carlson. Check out more of his music on carlson.com. Join us again next week as we continue transcending boundaries and exploring the colorful world of trans, non-binary, and genderqueer representation in comic books of all kinds. As the curtains fall in this episode of Transcending Comics, remember that comics have the power to inspire change in countless worlds, including our own. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep transcending.